your honor right now with Tim Dawes. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. On the Mojo 5 radio network, streaming live on iHeartRadio. You can listen on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, or Spotify. And you can follow me on Twitter at right now, Jim Dawes. We love to hear from listeners. Shoot me an email at rightnowjimdawes at gmail.com or drop me a voicemail at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Did you ever see that movie Idiocracy? It's, uh, it's about a, an army experiment gone wrong. They were going to try to put somebody in suspended animation. And while they were, they were planning on keeping this guy there for a year, but uh, the, the lead scientist um, was killed and the program uh, was defunded and they forgot that this guy uh, was in suspended animation and uh, he wasn't brought out of it until uh, like 50 years later and went by the time he had... This country had uh, had become stupid, lazy, and dysfunctional. And watching last Thursday's Democrat presidential debate, <laughs> I think that this is uh, one of those situations of life imitating art. I guess that movie would be considered a um, a, a sci sci-fi movie, a sci-fi comedy. And like many other sci-fi movies, we are we are well on the track uh, as described in that movie. It's really hard to describe the how how far well how low I guess is the proper term. Uh, our political debate has become how uh, purposely duplicitous and unrealistic. And it really answers the question of why the Democrat National Committee was so anxious to prevent any of these debates from taking place on Fox News because they could not get away with kinds of promises and claims and statements that are being made with anything approaching an objective, unbiased uh, questioner. But because... They've limited themselves to CNN and MSNBC and the three networks. They know that they're going to get, you know, um, what's the word, uh, collusion from the debate moderators because they don't want to do anything that's going to increase the odds that Donald Trump is going to be elected. So they're handling each and every one of these Democrat candidates with kid gloves and pretending that the things they say actually bear some sort of resemblance to reality. And I guess maybe it's not necessarily a bad thing because once these guys and gals get on the stage with Donald Trump and, uh, you know, get uh, uh, some real moderators, and I think at some point they're going to have to allow Fox News to host a debate, they're going to absolutely get murdered, and they're putting together a, a record now for the Republican National Committee to to play uh, to 
to cut for opposition research and and uh, campaign ads that are just going to be devastating come the general election. So I, I watched the first two hours of it on Thursday night. I couldn't sit through any more of it. It was just unbelievable. And I told you the next day that I would, uh, you know, I, I would prepare a proper show about it over the weekend, and I have. We're going to cover that in the first hour, uh, or first half hour tonight's show. And in the second half hour, we're going to uh, be joined by Roger L. Simon. He's the founder of PJ Media, one of the very first conservative um, news sites, news and opinion sites on the Internet. Back in 2004, he founded it. He's written about uh, 12 or 15 books, Academy Award-nominated uh, screenwriter, and he's always got something interesting to say. We're going to talk to him about John Bolton's uh, leaving the White House, whether you believe he was fired or whether he resigned. really doesn't matter. And I'm going to get his take on the presidential debates as well. But the big line coming out of last Thursday debate was Joe Biden had rallied. <laughs> Dan Baltz over the Washington Post. Dan Baltz is what passes now, you know, for, for an old school journalist. He is old. He never was an objective uh, reporter, but he is their senior statesman, you know, for the for the old school reporters over there. And he said that Joe Biden had done what he needed to do and that he had done well. He'd performed well. And that was, you know, you could tell that that was the talking points from the um from the establishment, the Democrat establishment that had gone out because that's what everybody was saying. And you talk about the cognitive dissonance to see the performance that Joe Biden put in Thursday night characterized as as anything other than a massive disaster was un. <laughs> <laughs> kind of takes your breath away. I've got a montage here that uh, put together. Actually, I think I uh, I got it from uh, the clip service of Joe Biden's many and frequent pratfalls and gaffes. The president thinks, uh, my friend from Vermont thinks. I've been involved from the beginning as a young congressman, as a young uh, uh, councilman. And nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. Because what God's done before, I'm the only one up here who's ever beat the NRA. We didn't lock people up in cages. We didn't separate families. I'm the vice president of the United States. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids here work. <laughs> Oh man, you know, I, 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 at one point when this was going on, I felt bad and I started pulling back on playing all these Biden gaffes, but apparently his campaign thinks it's fine because they keep putting them out there and the Democrat party thinks it's fine because they keep putting them out there and, and the media keep pretending that nothing's wrong. So who am I to judge? So I'm just going to I'm going to go all in from now on and and really enjoy this. I mean, if he's going to put himself out there for ridicule and be so in your face about it, then 
as I say, who am I to judge? And, and oh, by the way, Joe Biden never cut anybody else any slack. He never showed any, uh, any restraint or any uh, uh, fairness towards his political opponents. So I will proceed on the notion of live by the sword and die by the sword. As I say, the Democrats rushed, rushed out the next day despite Biden's disastrous performance and had things to say like Chris Coons, uh, the Mar- the Maryland senator. Well, frankly, I thought Joe was sharp and compelling last night. I thought he had uh, one of the most inspiring closings. <laughs> sharp and compelling, Chris Coons says of Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, Julian Castro had a, a different take on the stage. My plan would do that. Your plan would they not. They do not have to buy in. They do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes. Are, 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 are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Are you forgetting already what you said just two minutes ago? Now, to be fair, it was not entirely clear that Joe had, in fact, said what Castro was saying that he had forgot that he said. But the the truth of the matter is, if you go back and listen to Joe Biden's jumble of word, his wor- words, his word salad on the topic, you're not sure exactly what the hell he's saying. So I could understand where Julian Castro would uh, would misunderstand it because it certainly was not very clear. At one point, the the black moderator and and ABC had a Hispanic a moderator up there that was, you know, there to press the issues for Hispanic people, Jorge Ramos. And then they had this, uh, this black female that was up there to press on black issues and reparations and such. Just further illustrating what I'm talking about, heading down this road to idiocracy. The people that are constantly screaming racism and sexism, when it comes right down to it, they're, they're color struck. They see everything through the lens of race and gender and sexual orientation and all of the other, um, you know, identity politics that the Democrats want to engage in. And that was ABC News. We've got a Hispanic here. He wants to ask you a Hispanic question. We've got a black here. She wants to ask you a black question. And this black moderator asked Joe Biden, uh, about statements that he had made previously regarding reparations where he said he was, he'd be damned if he was going to pay reparations when he never owned slaves to people who never had been slaves, which is the, uh, the position that the vast majority of people in this country take, by the way. But it put old Joe on the spot. And, uh, and that, now keep in mind when you're listening to this clip that Joe Biden was asked about what are you going to do for black people to make up for the history of slavery? We bring social workers into homes and parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't, want, they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the phone, make sure the kid words. A kid coming from a very poor school, a very poor background, will hear four million words fewer spoken by the time they get there. So Joe Biden responds that, uh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to send government workers into your homes to show you how to raise your children. 
and I guess they're going to help them locate the the old phonograph or the Victrola so they can put the record player on because their kids are he- hearing 4 million fewer words are those are those words and repetition or 4 million fewer actual words <laughs> talk about a patronizing answer And Joe Biden, you know, he's got the, this history of saying, oh, Barack Obama was the first clean, articulate black candidate and all of these other things. But they're bound and determined they're going to drag old Joe across the finish line. We're going to run out to a break. And when we come back, we're going to uh, cover the rest of this debate. Stick with us. Mojo. Does your current bathroom need to be updated immediately? Introducing One Day Bath and Shower Remodeling, the complete and hassle-free way to get the new bathroom of your dreams in as little as one day and for as little as $1.99 a month. Yes, the experts at One Day Bath and Shower Remodeling will come to you anywhere in the country and show you all the customized options. Now you can have a brand new bathroom in as little as one day. Large or small bathroom. If you want a new bathtub or shower installed, we can do it in as little as one day. And if you call right now, you can save $750 off your remodel. We make it easy by offering you financing as low as $199 per month. Call now to schedule your free in-home consultation. 800-693-3152. 800-693-3152. That's 800-693-3152. Idiocracy, listeners, that's where we're headed. The Democrats don't have any uh, moderators to keep them in check because the moderators and the candidates are all on the same page. So they get to just say the stupidest stuff, apparently for the most gullible people. And Andrew Yang has apparently recognized exactly what the game is here, and he's just bypassed all of these uh, these formalities, and he's just offering to buy people's votes now. He is, of course, you know, this supposedly this tech entrepreneur that uh, is a, a genius that uh, knows, knows uh, you know, where we need to head, and he's decided that he's going to give everybody $1,000 a month. That's That's his campaign platform. That's called buying votes. That's not even, you know... Uh, buying votes with any window dressing on it. He's just saying, I'm just going to send you a check. Well, if Andrew Yang can promise $1,000 a month, what's to keep the can- the next candidate for saying, well, if he'll, he'll, if he'll send you $1,000, i will send you $1,200. And then the next candidate say, well, hell, if $1,200 is good, I'll send you $1,500. Hey, I'll send you $3,000. What's the sense in having to work for a living when we can just soak the rich? Never mind the rich will just take their businesses overseas or, or shut them down because business isn't in business to pay taxes and send money to people. He just wants to do away with, with work. There's a lot of people. You give them $1,000 a month, government health care, free tuition, and a Obama phone, and hell, they'd be perfectly happy just to sit at home all day. 
I would say that uh, pretty soon that would be the majority of people in this country because it won't stop at $1,000 a month. That's just a number. And so last uh, last, uh, Thursday, Yang opened the debate by upping the ante. In America today, everything revolves around the almighty dollar. Our schools, our hospitals, our media, even our government. It's why we don't trust our institutions anymore. We have to get our country working for us again instead of the other way around. That's why I'm going to do something unprecedented tonight. My campaign will now give a freedom dividend of $1,000 a month for an entire year to 10 American families, someone watching this at home right now. If you believe that you can solve your own problems better than any politician, go to yang2020.com and tell us how $1,000 a month will help you do just that. This is how we will get our country working for us again, the American people. (laughs) Mayor Pete Buttigieg. That's good, says Kamala Harris. So if you believe you can solve your own problems, send me your name and we'll uh, we'll put you in the hat for $1,000 a month. And then if you vote for me, by the way, the government will pay you $1,000 a month. Idiocracy. That's plain and simple idiocracy. It, it's actually buying votes. I mean, they used to have to do it in, in um, you know, uh, manila envelopes passed under the table. Now, Andrew Yang, a one of the 10 top candidates for the Democrat nomination, is going on national TV, offering it outright. I'll give 10 people $1,000 a month, $120,000 a year. And, oh, by the way, if you vote for me, everybody can have it. Free money, free money. But the big thing was them trying to uh, act like Joe Biden had had rallied and now he had righted the ship and he was uh, he was on track. This is one of the things Joe Biden said. Um, We should be talking about rehabilitation. Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. What about car theft? That's a nonviolent crime. You don't go to jail for car theft anymore. How about spying? No, 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 uh, no jail time for espionage. How about child porn? How about drug dealing? How about stealing old people's retirement money like Bernie Madoff did? There's scores of, of crimes that are nonviolent that if you just allow people to get away with it without prison would explode. Absolutely explode. Did Joe Biden think about this position before he went up on stage last night and spouted it? Oh, Joe Biden had a good night. He did what he needed to do. At one point, I think it was Bill Muir took time out from combing his hair to ask Joe Biden about his uh, his decisions in Iraq. There was a major drawdown of U.S. troops, and then ISIS seized, by some estimates, 40% of the territory in Iraq. You then had to send thousands of troops back in. Was it wrong to pull out of Iraq that quickly, and did the move actually help ISIS take hold? 
No, it wasn't wrong to pull up. I want to ask you an Afghanistan question. Not what? Afghanistan, not with a gun. I admire my friend. <laughs> no, it wasn't wrong to pull out that allowed ISIS to take a, a toehold there. And I want to talk about Afghanistan. I don't want to talk about the the um, vote that I cast to go into Iraq, which he's now denying whenever he can get away with it. And I don't want to talk about leaving the place as a, uh, a haven for ISIS that that destabilized the whole region, caused a mass migration into Europe, and resulted in tens of thousands of people being murdered. I want to talk about Afghanistan. Well, you know, if, if you were on the stage with a, a real moderator, they'd say, okay, let's talk about Afghanistan. Our... our uh, policy there has been a disaster as well i could go on and on you could pick so many clips from joe biden's saying stupid stuff he didn't open his mouth without saying something stupid half the time he opened his mouth he couldn't tell what the hell he was trying to say he was certainly wasn't responsive to the question and when you were able to understand what he was saying it was so at odds with reality it just left you shaking your head Chris Coons. Well, frankly, I thought Joe was sharp and compelling last night. I thought he had uh, one of the most inspiring closings. Oh, my God. So we've just got a few minutes left, and I, I don't want to leave Obeto out of this because Obeto decided that uh, it was time, you know, to, to take his cursing act on national TV. He had been dropping the F-bombs on the uh, cable news channels. So this was his prime time opportunity to to do some on-air cursing as well. Oh, yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. Now, that was that was uh, Beto Thursday night. Hell, yes, he says, we're going to take your AR-15. This was Beto when he was running against Ted Cruz for the, for the uh, senator, uh, Senate seat in Texas. Um, to be clear, they should have them. If you purchase that AR-15, if you own it, keep it. <laughs> That was then. This is now. And, of course, he can't do that because the Constitution protects both private property and gun ownership. It's not very complicated. The right of the uh, uh, a well-regulated militia being necessary to free people, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Of course, uh, Ted or uh, uh, Chuck Todd over there at NBC News Brought Beto on Sunday, hoping maybe that he had uh, dropped some F-bombs or other curse words over there. And asked Beto, well, uh, what are you going to do about that little thing called the Constitution? You heard at one time, I believe, uh, it was Vice President Biden uh, offered up and he said, uh, don't forget the Constitution. So let me ask it this way. What is your interpretation of what the Second Amendment allows and what the Second Amendment does not allow? Prepare yourself for a brilliant legal argument. I'll put it this way. This is something that we're able to do through the Commerce Clause. And this is something that is not prevented uh, from the United States, wouldn't prevent the United States from doing by the Second Amendment. So this is constitutionally. Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, my goodness. Hadn't thought of that. This is something that the Commerce would, would allow 
Commerce Clause would allow and the Second Amendment wouldn't prohibit. <laughs> Unbelievable. It, was, it went on and on. Kamala Harris at one time uh, said that uh, Donald Trump reminded her of the little dude behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz and then looked out at George Stephanopoulos with his feet dangling off of the floor sitting on his stool. That was hilarious. We've got to run out to a break. You're going to hear two commercials, and then we'll be right back with Roger L. Simon, famous playwright and uh, raconteur, to discuss Bolton, the election, and other things. Stick with us on Mojo 5.0. We'll be right back. Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva paper towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective on the Mojo 5 radio network. Well, this past Monday, the Senate Homeland Security Committee held a hearing at Ground Zero to commemorate 9-11 at the National Memorial and Museum in New York City. It was just days before the anniversary of that Islamic attack on September 11, 2001, but oddly enough, no mention of radical Islam was made by any of the senators on the panel and was only obliquely mentioned by any of the three witnesses. They did, however, take testimony on climate change, gun control, and the threat of white supremacy. Joining us now to talk about it is Dan Perkins, a nationally recognized expert on foreign policy and energy and a contributor to The Daily Caller, Town Hall, Newsmax, and The Hill. He's author of the novel The Brotherhood of the Red Nile, A Terrorist Perspective, and you can find that on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So i got to say, uh, I, I read the article in Breitbart, and then I went on and watched that hearing, and it was just amazing how right there in the shadow of uh, the former World Trade Center's on the anniversary of 9-11, none of the senators and uh, and only one of the witnesses even made mention of the uh, radical uh, um, theology that was responsible for the attacks of 9-11. Did, did it strike you as, um, as insulting? Um, yes, yes and no. Uh, yes, it was insulting to the 3,000 people died in the families of those people who've been affected by, by it ever since that attack. But it didn't surprise me because um, 
there was a, this was all part of something that happened some time ago that most people have forgotten about. And I don't mean the bombing. I'm not going to give you a specific event, which created a fundamental shift in our leadership ideas about the prosecution against terrorism and more specifically against radical Muslims. That event took place a couple of summers ago, well, actually more than that, more like four or five, when Barack Obama was on the golf course during his summer vacation and had to come in and announce to the American people that a reporter had been beheaded by ISIS. And so... I remember it well. Yeah, what happened was that a lot of people uh, took what happened at face value and didn't understand that there were messages to two constituencies and how that affected from that point on, how it affected these two constituencies and how it's uh, prevalent today. The first message was to the black community. This was Daniel Pearl you're referring to. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, yes, sir. That's exactly correct. Daniel Pearl. And what I'm what I'm laying out here is a hypothesis that said, up until that point in time, the Democratic Party had been a party of victims, and the largest constituency of victims at that time were blacks. And what the beheading of Daniel Pearl was a message to the Democratic Party. Uh, the blacks are no longer your primary victims. From now on, the primary victims are going to be Muslims. And if you don't do that, we've already demonstrated what we can do to you if you don't do what we tell you to do, number one. Number two was clearly a message to the media in the United States and around the world that we are watching how you report our activities And if you don't report it in a way in which we'd like it to be reported, the outcome of Daniel Pearl will visit you. So that. Well, that is quite a theory there, Dan. Well, let me, let me take it, play it forward. Uh, At the time of the attack of 9-11, there were approximately 1,250 mosques, Muslim mosques in the United States. And that number has grown dramatically. Uh, I think, Muslim immigration into the United States post 9-11 increased by three or fourfold. Yeah. And so there now are almost 3,000 mosques in the United States. And so when we elected the first two Muslim females to the U.S. Congress, and they took their seats in January of this year, look at what has happened with the two Muslim ladies and the amount of influence and exposure they've gotten in the media and how much they are in control of the Democratic Party. And when, when it came time to criticize our lady friend from Minneapolis about her anti-Semitic remarks, Ilhan the Omar. Congress, yeah, Ilhan Omar, the Ilhan Omar, she was supposed to be censured by the House for her anti-Semitic remarks. Her remarks but were actually, so off the reservation for the traditional Democrat party that everybody just assumed that they would censure her 
for making these blatantly anti-Semitic remarks. But uh, when the resolution was brought forward by the House leadership, they had a uh, a revolt in their ranks, and they made it uh, known in no uncertain terms that Ilhan Omar would not be censured for those remarks, and they turned the the whole resolution around basically to condemn white nationalism. Against Muslims, the victim. Correct. So that, that in, in a very short period of time, the Omar and her sister up in Michigan, basically along with the, the representative from Massachusetts and AOC, basically took control of the Democratic Party in a very short period of time. And they are influencing the direction of the policy and what's being said. And the media. Well, they, cer- said, they certainly are dictating policy when it comes to issues regarding Islam and the Palestinian Israeli conflict. Right. And and recognition and support of Israel. What I'm saying is that in that that one event with with Mr. Pearl was sending a message to the Democrats and to the news media. And here we roll forwards, you know, 17 years later with our first two female Muslim congresswoman, and we see exactly what I said was going to happen. It's happening. And so when we look at what's going on on Monday, when we had this hearing, it was more, there is more concern about the impact of global warming than the impact of terrorism. I want to play you a clip from Janet Napolitano. The the three witnesses before the committee yesterday were uh, uh, Chertoff, Napolitano, and Jay Johnson, who were uh, three previous uh, Homeland Security secretaries under George Bush and uh, and then Barack Obama, and uh, and this this is the clip that really struck me is Janet Napolitano uh, couldn't even bring herself to mention the threat of uh, jihad or Islamic terrorism, and instead she took off on uh, on other threats. So today I would like to speak with you about three areas that I believe the country must focus on. Cybersecurity, mass casualty shootings, and the effects of global warming or climate change. And I will address one issue that I believe is not a threat to the homeland, the United States border with Mexico. The United States border is not a threat to the homeland. Now, that is a very porous border, and you have written in your uh, in, in several of your books, actually, uh, especially uh, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, about uh, you know these suitcase uh, dirty nuclear bombs, and right. uh, and you could you could literally just uh, carry one of those bombs right across that open southern border, and nobody would be the wiser right. until it was too late. But Janet Napolitano wants you to believe that uh, an unsecured border. Um, that is being flooded by foreign nationals from all over the world does not present a, uh, a, a danger to the homeland. Now, taking that thought and, and holding on to it, go to last weekend when Omar saying she wants the UN to take control of the southern border. She wants the United States government to turn over immigration and other activities performed by immigration and customs to the to the refugee department of the United Nations. Now, what she's not telling you is that this particular and you don't have to take my word for it, go to the internet, go to Google and search this refugee organization of the UN and you will find pages and pages of complaints of where these people have been put in countries where the people are responsible for raping women and children. Now, on top of that, 
the people, the, the women and children, girls that are coming north on these caravans, when they're in their hometowns, where if they can afford them, they're given shots to keep them from getting pregnant because of the high incidence of rape on the caravans. In many, many cases, women and girls who don't have the money to pay, to pay with their bodies. And yet she's going to turn over the control of our southern border to a U.N. organization that has a reputation for being rapist. Now, it seems well, to she, me, she's turning over to a body that is uh, uh, anti-Semitic to its core and uh, does not have the best interests of the United States at heart. That's for sure. Yeah. The idea that the American people would agree to turn over control of the southern border to the U.N. is really, and I, I've done a lot of interviews about that in the last two weeks, it really doesn't deserve the time of day because the American people will never stand for that. That's right. And I've had people like yourself, not you specifically, but talk show hosts who have asked me, do you think it's possible that, that President Trump and Vice President Pence and Mitch McConnell will agree to that? I said, no, they'll never agree to that. But in their in the tone in their voice, but they one of these ten Democrat uh, clown car candidates uh, might 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 agree to it, or at least they might promise to agree to it. Right, and so so the point is that we again we have her Omar making a suggestion about what should happen that we should turn over control of our southern border. But I would ask the question: if we turn over the control of the southern border, what's to keep the UN from saying, "Well, we need to control all of the borders of the United States"? Well, the U.N. does, in fact, uh, control many of the borders in uh, in the continent of Africa and and, uh, in the Middle East. I want to play a clip for you here while we're on the topic of Ilhan Omar. Um, When she recently held a news conference along with Tlaib and uh, the squad members, AOC and uh, Presley, she was asked Mm -hmm. outright to condemn Islamic terrorism, and this was what she had to say. Every single person who's brown and black at some point in their life in this country heard that now when he made the comment uh i know that every single muslim who has lived in this country and across the world has heard that comment and so i will not dignify it with an answer so she refuses to answer whether or not she condemns isis al-qaeda and islamic terrorism and uh, and she says because it's an affront to ask her to. So I went on a concerted search on the internet trying to find any time well, Irhan Omar had condemned Islamic terrorism, and I wasn't able to find a single instance. And it makes you wonder if she is unable to, you know, condemn Islamic terrorism, um, maybe she supports it. Well, that's that's a perfectly logical conclusion, and I would agree with it. That the, the, the problem for the American people is that they don't understand the context in which she's operating. <clears throat> she considers herself to be a Sharia-compliant Muslim and following the Quran. Now, under, under the provisions of the Quran, one of the tenets is that if you are a Muslim, <clears throat> there are rules about how you interact with infidels, non-Muslims. And that particular provision is called taqiyya. And under taqiyya, you are allowed to lie, steal, cheat, mislead, whatever you want to do to infidels in order to further the objective of of the Muslim group. And so we cannot take anything that she and her sister uh, in uh, Michigan are saying because we don't know if it's truthful or she's lying to us. It's the same 
same principle of, we, it, it, again, not, not much play, but they had the Ayatollah for Iran said last week, we would consider reopening the talks on the nuclear agreement if we receive $15 billion in cash. Now, are we going to pay $15 billion for the right to talk, and are they going to do anything, or are they going to stand there and lie to us? My, my point is, if, if you cannot have trust in the person that you're trying to have a dialogue with and to try and settle differences, you will never settle it. They will never capitulate because they will never tell us the truth. And that's what's going on. Well, it struck me, uh, you, you mentioned that Ilhan Omar is Sharia compliant, that uh, mm-hmm. you know she may not be able to, given the district that she represents uh, being a, uh, identified by the FBI as a hotbed of Islamic terror recruiting, she might not be mm-hmm. able to make any uh, statements uh, condemning Islamic terrorism because they would retaliate against her. And I'm not talking about just in defeating her in the next election. She could be missing her head. That's exactly right. I mean, we, we've, right. Reached, we've reached the point in this country where we've got whole congressional districts where, um, you know, I'm not saying they are majority uh, radical Islamic, but they uh, they certainly have a huge element of that. And Ilhan Omar herself uh, filed a, a brief with a court where um, four uh, adherents uh, to ISIS who had joined from her district uh, were busted by the FBI, and she filed a, a brief urging the court to be lenient on them because, uh, you know, their heart was in the right place. Right. It, it, it's, 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 it's a situation where if you can't trust what a person's saying, you never know what they're telling you is to the, is the truth. Is it, is it a lie? Is it a manipulation of you? It's a manipulation of the facts uh, to a particular end. We know, we know in Michigan that there are Sharia courts right now practicing law. There are, the there are Sharia police patrols in, in Ilhan Omar's district. Mm-hmm. And so those people have already seceded from the Union of the United States and are forming. And, and the precedent for doing this is, look what's happened in France and Germany. And France England. is an example of them. But, but France is the most dominant example of divide and conquer farthest down the road and they have created many many enclaves of pure muslim and they are called no-go zones and the military and the police and fire and everybody else the government authorities are forbidden to go into those areas so what's happening is the muslims are subdividing the country of france into these uh, enclaves and they as they continue to grow to become more and more powerful, more and more demanding, and as a result, they're going to wind up taking over the country of France. Now, the listeners might have heard that and thought that uh, Dan Perkins was exaggerating, but as a matter of fact, the president of France, uh, Macron himself, has acknowledged that there are, in fact, no-go zones in the Paris suburbs where uh, where Sharia law and um, and Muslim culture dominate. Uh, and mm-hmm. that it is uh, it is causing the disintegration of the historic French nation. I have a children's book that's available on the website called Peter the Little Irish Seal. That book, the genesis for writing that book, was my son and daughter-in-law. 
my daughter-in-law is of Irish descent, has a, a dual citizenship, and they would go back periodically to visit her family in Ireland. And they would come back and tell me of how much the, the Muslims are taking over Dublin, trying to change the law and the history and the culture of the Irish people. I wrote Peter the Little Irish Seal as a way to preserve some small element of the historical culture of, of the Irish people. But they go in and they change the laws, they change the culture, they ban these things, you can't do these things. Very quickly they become Sharia-compliant countries. They're no longer, they're no longer a specific national uh, organization uh, or a structure. They're no longer Irish or French or German or Italian or whatever. They are Muslim. They're bec- well, they're becoming multiculturalism and home to, as you said, the, these enclaves and these strongholds of, uh, of a foreign um, mm-hmm. culture. You know, one of the traditions in the European countries are big communal pools. And uh, across the continent now, uh, many of these pools are closing down because uh, the, the, uh, the new Muslim arrivals uh, cannot tolerate um, Western women wearing bathing suits. Um, and, you know, they insist that they, they cover themselves up completely. And rather than push back and, and uh, insist on the native culture prevailing, uh, they're just closing these pools down and, um, mm-hmm. and, and capitulating, sub- submitting to this, uh, to this foreign uh, invasion. And when you look at the percentage of the Muslim people as a percentage of the population in any of those countries in Europe, it's relatively small. Now, France has the highest at about 10%. But they're, they're minority, minority population, yet they're aggressive, and they have tremendous influence in trying to get things changed and to their liking and to what they want to do. We don't understand that, and that's why the first book in the trilogy, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, A Terrorist Perspective, this is, this was specifically written to help people understand why these people hate us so much and why they want to kill us. What are the other two books in the trilogy? Actually, uh, the second book is called America Rebuilds, and the third book is called America Responds. Now, when I finished the third book, about nine months later, I start getting emails from people, and they said, so when's the next book coming? And I would send them a note back and said, you understand that a trilogy is three books? <laughs> and and I, would get, I would get emails back, so when's the next book coming? <laughs> so I wrote a fourth book. And a gentleman, a, 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 a talk show host yesterday, says, I figured out what we're going to call it. We're going to call it a quadrilogy, Quad- four books. Quadrilogy. That, that's Terrorist Gold, and um, that's also. So those are all available, along with the children's books, are available at Amazon. But um, Hey, Dan, I've got, a, I've got this, uh, this audio clip. It's, uh, it's setting up the first book and the trilogy, The Brotherhood of the Red Nile. It's about a three-minute okay. clip. Have you got long enough uh, to stand by, and then you can sure. comment? Here we go. Absolutely. The Brotherhood of the Red Nile, a terrorist perspective by Dan Perkins. We interrupt this program to bring you a special Reader's News update. Joining us is Dan Perkins, author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile trilogy. Dan? This is fiction, and it's meant to be entertaining, but I'd also like to get people thinking. Reports from undisclosed news sources tell us that representatives from Homeland Security, the FBI, CIA, NSA, and the Secret Service are gathering to discuss a possible threat in the United 
United States from an Al-Qaeda-like terrorist group called the Brotherhood of the Red Nile. Earlier from Washington... Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today because of a real threat that, if successful, could bring down America. Once again, here's Dan Perkins. How could we best prepare if a threat like this actually happened? Joining us now is our Reader's News Middle Eastern correspondent, Jane French. Jane? Thank you. Based on what we have been able to pick up in Internet traffic, a new Al-Qaeda-type terrorist group is being formed somewhere in Syria, possibly Iraq and Iran. This group is dramatically different from Al-Qaeda. We believe that it is possible that this group has acquired former Soviet Union suitcase dirty bombs and plans to use them against the United States. We know that Russia cannot account for 12 of these bombs. We are told that in addition to U.S. Homeland Security, CIA, and other federal agency task forces, there may be additional help from Great Britain's MI6, as well as possible covert ops teams from the Israeli Mossad. Undisclosed sources have intercepted these Brotherhood of the Red Nile communications. This is our target. We can't attack all of the United States, but we can select targets that, if attacked successfully, will have much greater long-term impact on America. We can lay out our plans to bring down America using our new weapons. Once again, here's Dan Perkins. All the technology is real. Dan, how is this possible? Most of the technology referred to in this book is available on the Internet. It is clear, however, that there are terrorist groups that want to attack the United States. Jane, final thoughts? Once again, we are following up on reports that the U.S. Homeland Security, CIA, Joint Federal Agency Task Forces, British MI6, and Israeli Mossad are tracking an Al-Qaeda-like terrorist group known as the Brotherhood of the Red Nile. This group reportedly has possession of one or more of the missing Soviet Union dirty bombs. While further information is not clear at this time, undisclosed sources say their intent is to use these Soviet dirty bombs against the United States. Stand by while we switch to our Washington correspondence. Broadcasting from the Oval Office, the president said, My fellow Americans, the radio crackled. We interrupt the president. There is a report of a second nuclear bomb exploding in the radio went dead. The Brotherhood of the Red Nile, a terrorist perspective by Dan Perkins is available at Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, FriesenPress.com. And all Dan Perkins books can be ordered at your local bookstore. You know, Dan, that is a hair-raising uh, prospect you raise in that book. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, it's it's not that unlike uh, the books that Tom Clancy wrote that, uh, that predicted uh, that Islamic terrorists would use airliners to as missiles to attack uh, buildings. And uh, nobody, including inside the CIA, paid any heed to that. And the the scenarios that you're describing there in that book are perfectly plausible. And if you think it hasn't occurred to Islamic terrorists to do that, I would argue you're sadly mistaken. Right. That uh, I've had people who listened uh, to that clip and and they say it reminds them to Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. It's just as scary. And um, uh, and 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 some people have compared what you just said that the books remind them of, of Tom Clancy and his writing style. 
which is, I think, highly complimentary for me, and I appreciate that. But, but even when you write fiction, there has to be an element of truth to make fiction work. As I said, all the technology uh, in the book is real. It happens, and it's there. Um, one of the scariest pieces of the book was that this book was started in, in February of the first book, Terrorist Perspective was started in February of 2012. Why is it important? Because I said in the book that the new terrorist group called the Brotherhood of the Red Nile was going to be, was being formed in the town of Oman, Syria. Three years later, that's where ISIS was formed. You know, what's scary uh, to me about it, Dan, is you think that, uh, you know, our CIA and our other uh, intelligence agencies have a handle on this. But as I described, uh, in the aftermath of 9-11, they said that it never occurred to them that uh, Islamic terrorists would use airliners as missiles. Apparently, nobody over at the CIA had ever read Tom Clancy because he described just that scenario. And he's not the only author that described that scenario. There were others. And right. they had captured Ramsey Youssef over in the Philippines. Well, they they actually they just missed capturing Ramsey Youssef over in Manila, uh, but they found plans in his bomb making factory to do just that to use uh, an airliner to uh, attack the CIA headquarters. And yet, nobody took any action to prevent it until it was too late. And and it makes you fearful uh, that, you know, this could be the same kind of scenario. I would say, uh, I would make a recommendation to your audience. I watched last night the two-hour special on the History Channel. 20 seconds. On Air Force One. You will be shocked at how ill-prepared we were as a nation. We we had the president in Air Force One, and it reached a point where he was totally out of control, meaning he couldn't talk to anybody. So watch that, and you'll see how ill-prepared we were for this attack. Dan Perkins is the author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile trilogy. You can find his website at danperkinssanibel.com, and you can follow Dan on Twitter at dansbeak, D-A-N-S-B-E-A-K. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. I hope you'll come back again sometime. Anytime. Just give me a call. Thank you. And we got that's it for today's uh, edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I hope you'll join us back here again tomorrow on the Mojo 50 Radio Network. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more.